Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the NY Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Laufer, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of NucleCast. Of course, I'm your host, Adam Lowther, and today we have a truly great guest. Frank Lowry is the Associate Administrator for Management and Budget at the National Nuclear Security Administration, and we've asked Frank to come on the show today to talk about some important topics. We've, we've hit on them a little bit in the past but Frank's going to give us some more detailed and in-depth discussion of those important topics like human capital, workforce, infrastructure, health and safety, and trends at NNSA. Frank, welcome to NucleCast. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. So as one sailor to another, uh, always appreciate you coming on NucleCast and having the chance to talk about one of our favorite topics, and that's, of course, nuclear weapons and the important role NNSA plays in making America's deterrent possible. And you have a really important job at NNSA that, you know, it's it's not that, you know, the sexy warhead discussion that we often get to have, but it's what enables us to have that sexy discussion. And you you have to be responsible for all of those things for, you know, NSA that uh, just, you know, make it hum like a machine. And so as, as we talk about the topics I mentioned, can you give us sort of a, a more detailed look at some of the human capital and workforce challenges and solutions that you're addressing? Yeah, thanks, Adam. And it's a great question. If I, if I flash back to the last, uh, uh, ANWA panel I was on. It was in 2019, and we had uh, Admiral Scott Papano on with us, and we were talking that day about the workforce that Scott would need to recruit to build the Columbia class, uh, uh, you know, the replacement for the Ohio class, uh, uh, strategic ballistic missile submarines. And Scott was explaining his recruiting challenges you know, for his uh, naval shipyards where they where they build these uh, tremendous ships. Uh, he had some great ideas that he talked about that day. And this is back in July of 19. And uh, I took notes. I mean, I was supposed to be panels, <laughs> but I was taking notes from Scott about how he had worked so diligently with the uh, local uh, government officials, uh, both in Rhode Island and Connecticut and uh, in Virginia, uh, because of the teaming they had going on between Electric Boat and Huntington Ingalls. And Scott, uh, he had some some really good ideas about how he was working hard to recruit uh, trade workers that they would need to do the ship construction for the next several decades. I went back to the office that afternoon, and uh, and we got the crew together at NNSA to talk about how we were doing the same thing or maybe not. And uh, and it was an epiphany for us because the things Scott had already discovered and was working on with the Department of the Navy were things that we could do too. And and so we've done them. We started uh, 
In fact, it was just before COVID. It was a few, just a few months after we were talking with Scott on the ANWA panel. We uh, we took a, a recruiting trip on the road with all of our M and O partners. And so, if you can picture this, in the days prior, uh, all of our M and O partners, our management and operations partners. So think about our national laboratories, our production sites, the Nevada National Security Site. All those different entities would recruit independently. And, and sometimes we were recruiting in the same college fair or in the same job fair. We were all there. We we're just at different tables, you know, in the gymnasium, all spread out. And uh, what we learned uh, we could do better was to go as a, a team. And so we began recruiting as a team in 2019. This was before COVID even hit. And uh, how it worked, uh, Adam, was we would set up all our tables together in the gymnasium at whichever university or whichever job fair. And so you'd have the Livermore table next to the Lionel table, next to the uh, Savannah River table, et cetera. And as, uh, as a candidate walked by, if there was uh, a reason why that candidate would be a better fit at the Sandia National Laboratory rather than the Los Alamos National Laboratory, we'd walk the kid over to the right table to talk to the right recruiting team and get him an offer today. We've kept that up uh, through the uh, pandemic, even through virtual recruiting when we had to shift, you know, for the safety of our HR teams and our candidates, we continued to do this recruiting as a team. It's, it's worked out uh, pretty well. Here's why it was important. Just like uh, Scott having to bring in a new workforce to build the Columbia class, NNSA was in a resurgence of mission. We'd come through what Tom Mason would call, you know, the three ages, and we had entered the fourth age uh, of, of deterrence and it was going to require some changes in how we were managing our infrastructure and how we were managing our uh, life extension programs and potentially how we would have to manage new production facilities. We needed more people. When you look back at the last decade, the NNSA uh, program dollars have doubled in the last decade from a roughly $10 billion enterprise to an over $20 billion, with a B, dollar enterprise. And 80%, roughly 80% of our costs are personnel costs. So that means, you know, we're a big recruiter. We're recruiting and have been for the last five years. It's been a growth industry and it's not going away. So this year we're going to target uh, our target to hire across the National Nuclear Security Enterprise. This is including my MO partners as well as the federal workforce. We're going to recruit 9,000 new hires. 9,000 wow. new hires in one year. And so uh, for the folks out there listening, if you have a friend or, uh, you know, a student uh, or you have a mid-career person who's looking for a mission, a mission they can sink their teeth into, a mission they can come and do for a decade or two or three, they can raise their family working for us. Uh, and we need them. This mission's not going away and we're, we're not shrinking. We're growing. And uh, America needs us. So this recruiting effort that we started back in 19, uh, 2019. We haven't let up. Uh, we've hit our targets each year. We've watched very carefully this attrition thing that's happening. Uh, and so where we needed to, we made some adjustments in our targets, our hiring targets to accommodate higher attrition because we've seen some higher attrition in some of our sites. Uh, but all of that is working together as a team to make sure we get the right people in the right place at the right time uh, to do this very important mission for America. Um, Adam, there's one other piece to that that I think is very important. It's uh, it's it's how we do the recruiting trips. You know, just recently, it's uh, 
it's September. It was in uh, June. I was over at the American University right here in Washington, D.C., and it was a, 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 a NSC recruiting event. So we had our partners there with us. But I also had with me my number two, my number two leader of the NNSA, uh, Mr. Frank Rose. He's the principal uh, deputy administrator. Jill Ruby's the boss. Frank Rose is, is her deputy. Frank Rose brought himself over to the American University and stood there with me all afternoon to recruit these young students at American U who wanted to come and have something that was meaningful in their life called mission. And we got it. And Frank Rose did a super job of explaining not just our nuclear deterrent mission, but also our nuclear nonproliferation mission, which is so important. And, uh, and many of those students at American University, they were intrigued by the engineering challenges that we have in the stockpile stewardship mission, but they were also intrigued by saving the world you know, through the uh, nonproliferation mission. So having leaders like Frank Rose who are willing to put their life on hold and come and help me recruit the next generation of NNSA employees, priceless. Uh, now, take Frank Rose, set that, that idea in a thought cloud. I get the same kind of support from the laboratory directors. Uh, they help me recruit. They send full teams to these recruiting events. They have the great, um, uh, you know, little uh, gadgets that they give away yeah. and, and that brings the kids in, right? Uh, the feds, we're not so good at that, but our m partners are great at those little gadgets. And so the mission, the, the, the point I would share with all your listeners, you know, we're 57,000 strong at NNSA, 57,000 strong, and we're hiring 9,000 people this year. So uh, come on down, look us up. You can Google us. Uh, look on Glassdoor. Look on LinkedIn. We're there. Look on USA Jobs. We're there. We're advertising all over the place. And uh, we have jobs all over this country. If uh, if you need to be out west, we can help you. If you need to be back east, we can help you. If you need to be in Kansas <laughs> City, we got you covered. Uh, so come on down. We're hiring. Uh, Adam, does that help? That does. You, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Eric Wallerman, and we were talking about recruiting and you know, going to campuses because they, they sort of have targeted the Missouri, Kansas schools. And one of the things he had mentioned is that, you know, you, you have to go there and you have to say, listen, we have a really, really cool mission. Now we can't tell you about it, but we've got a really cool mission and here's what it does. So one of the suggestions I I had for Eric and, you know, I, I offered up is you need to hire some folks who understand the broader deterrence mission the Russians, the Chinese, and send those guys out to talk about who is the adversary, what are they doing, how are we countering it, and how does this this engineering aspect of the nuclear mission contribute to making that possible? Because I think that would also really excite, you know, that, that, that sense of, you know, I don't have to have the highest salary that Google might offer because I'm going to gain a lot of, you know, personal satisfaction. Yes, um, I agree. With, I agree with your advice to Eric, and uh, and that's why this was so important. When we went to uh, Georgia Tech not too long ago for a recruit, I got another recruiting trip. the The old way of doing it was you'd send the HR people, the the people that actually said, you know, fill out this form and help me select your benefits, and and they're lovely, they're excellent, uh, sure, and they're facilitating the activity that we have. You have to do all those papers. But who the uh, who the student and who the candidate really wants to hear from is that engineer or that scientist or that policy person 
who's actually doing it. The policy person who was in Geneva last week and now is at American University standing in front of you and explaining, you know, what happened? What happened yeah. at that table where they were talking with the international partners? What was the point? Uh, why are we repatriating highly enriched uranium? Why is that important to your kids and their kids? And and why is it better to have low enriched uranium in that research reactor in pick a country? Um, sure. Uh, 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 Ghana, uh, you know, we're all over the world doing that kind of work. And, and so your point is uh, spot on. Being able to explain to the candidate the details of how their life, how spending their life with us can improve the world. Uh, that's what they need to understand. And my HR team is great, but they're not the best people to explain that. The person who's better to explain it is the engineer or the policy. So come with me. Come help me recruit. <laughs> We're heading down yeah. to the southern counties next. We're going to be down in the southern counties. This is the county south of Savannah River. We're going to go down there. Frank Rose is coming with me. We're going to go down there and recruit uh, for the whole enterprise, especially, though, for Savannah River, because we have a growth uh, a growth mission at Savannah River related to the plutonium pits uh, and the Savannah River plutonium pit production facility. But so we're going down there expressly to recruit from those three counties south of the Savannah River site. But if there are candidates who can walk up to the table and they want to be out in California, hey, uh, we can work with them on that. So we're, we're excited about that approach to recruiting, Adam. So far, so good. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the AMLA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. Awesome. Awesome. So let's turn to another topic. And that's a big one. And that's infrastructure. We've, you know, if you go to the nuclear uh, deterrence summit, you go, you know, you, you talk to, you know, I talked to the lab directors and infrastructure recapitalization of, you know, World War II era facilities. Talk to me about that. And and where are we? Do we have the the resources we need? I think we've, you know, we have talked about I think I heard your, you know, the Scott's discussion about building subs and, you know, it's a similar discussion, you know, like at Savannah River, you mentioned in building some of those new facilities that, Hey, we need carpenters. We need, you know, we, we need guys who can lay cement. We need, we need all of these kinds of people who are skilled craftsmen and who can be cleared and and can pass a background check who can, you know, do these things to the highest standard. So it's not just PhDs in, in physics, it's the whole spectrum. And that the, some of these, the lack of these folks is slowing down the construction and the replacement of infrastructure. So how's that whole, how's that going in terms of sort of all of these challenges and requirements that you've got? Yeah, thanks, Adam. It's a, a another great question. If you flash back to when I came to the National Nuclear Security Administration in 2012, we did not have a huge investment in infrastructure, you know, on the books. Our our budget request was it was appropriate for the mission that we had that at that time, but our budget request since then has more than doubled. And one of the big reasons it's more than doubled is because we are uh, asking the legislative branch for the resources we need to make the investments in infrastructure that are needed. Um, and why are they needed? Uh, because many of the buildings that our people work in 
uh, date back to the Manhattan Project. Uh, they were built in World War II or shortly thereafter, and their expected lifespan for those buildings was 20 years or so. And we're now 50 years plus on some of them. And so it's it's very necessary to make the investment for America to be able to do the work that we do in a safe uh, facility. The costs are appropriate. It's expensive. Uh, and, and making a building that's going to last for another 50 years, that's going to cost us some money. But we've been very uh, uh, transparent in explaining to the Congress what the resources are that we need, how we would invest those resources, you know, the site uh, plans for each one of our sites, what building would go up next, and how long will it take. And we provide frequent updates on the cost plans so that there should be no, no surprises. Now, to the point that you asked about on the trade craft, uh, this is something that's uh, bef- this befuddling. It's befuddling to everyone in America right now that's doing major construction. I'm not talking about a house construction. I'm talking about these are these are nuclear safe facilities, and and they're engineered and designed to to be safe for nuclear work for another five decades. These uh, these buildings, like you said, you have to have people who can be can be cleared uh, security clearance, and the trades and crafts that we're looking for, they're being they're in high demand for other types of construction. So that drives up cost because we're having to we're having to meet the market uh, price for these uh, these trade crafts. Here are some things that we've taken on as a new way of doing it. And it's not just us as federal employees, but our lab uh, partners are also taking uh, taking these approaches. And and so for one example, in our Minority Serving Institution Partnership Program, which is a federally run program, which two years ago was funded at $20 million a year, and in the current year, it's funded at 55, that's five, five, $55 million a year. We've expanded that program to, to pull in the community colleges and the junior college trade occupation program students who aren't looking to be PhDs, but they're looking for a trade that they can do to raise their family and be happy. And we've got them. We've got those jobs. So we're reaching out to those uh, uh, folks in those communities and saying, come over. Come over and give this a try. Uh, community college is fine. You don't have to have a PhD or a master's or even a bachelor's degree to come in and do some of the work that we need to do. This is the same thing that Scott was doing in 2019. Uh, uh, Scott was telling us in that panel that day that he'd worked with the local legislature to achieve some funding programs that would make it possible for these community colleges to stand up the programs that they would need so that the students could then apprentice at the shipyard to be part of the Columbia class shipbuilding group. Great idea, Scott. So uh, we're doing the same thing. We've applied federal dollars to the Minority Serving Institution Partnership Program in order to reach out to the community and junior colleges and pull in students who are interested in learning a trade craft, and then we'll put them right to work. They can do the apprenticeship with us and go right to work at Pickett, Savannah River Plutonium uh, Pit Production Facility. Good. Uh, we need somebody out at Los Alamos working in PF4. Come on, let's go. We need somebody in uh, Sandia to help us with the crest, uh, the replacement reactor. Okay. Uh, we've got work going on everywhere. Every one of our sites has major construction going on right now, and we're very happy to reach out to the community colleges and even to the high schools and say, hey, we have some opportunities here. And if you allow your students to participate, maybe 
what they'll decide is that this is perfect for them. And uh, instead of them become becoming, you know, uh, overwhelmed with college loan debt, they can be hard at work with us for the next 40 years, raise their families and live a great life in America. And those are the words Scott was using in uh, 2019 when he talked about recruiting the shipbuilding crew that he needed for Columbia. So if you didn't know already, I'm a big fan of Scott uh, Papano and what he's done for the shipbuilding program for Columbia. And I think that many of those same ideas will work for us. Uh, and we're and we're giving it a go. Uh, I, I mentioned we're going to be down in the southern counties. This is one of the outreach moments for us, the southern counties in South Carolina, to make sure that when we get there, it's not just going to be you know the the four year degree schools that are showing up for this the, this event. So we're going to do it a, a little different, Adam, for this one. We're going to set it up with a uh, with a uh, internet uh, uh, open house first, a month ahead of time so that we can get the school administrators and the guidance counselors, the career professional advisors, the mentors, the people who are going to help shape the lives of these kids. We want to talk with them first and explain what it is we're doing. That We're going to tell them, hey, you don't need a four-year degree to do this work. This is important work. It's going to be long-lasting. America is in this for the long run. We, we need to be ready to build the next thing, the next building that's going to be needed and we'd like you to help us make sure we can be ready. Once we talk to the school administrators and the moms and dads, we'll go down there in person for that one-on-one conversation with guys like Frank Rose. You talk to Frank Rose. You know, Frank Rose leans in. Uh, he's uh, right up in there talking to you. He's so enthused about our mission. Uh, and when he gets a hold of somebody and starts explaining to them you know, what our mission pillars are, that we do stockpile stewardship, but we also do defense nuclear nonproliferation, we also do the naval reactors work to make sure our, our, our aircraft carriers and submarines have uh, naval propulsion that can take them through an entire life of a ship, a 40-year reactor core. Are you kidding me? You get Frank Rose talking about that, and people just want to sign up at him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. So you spurred me to think about this. You know, I've got, I've got a, I graduated high school 30 years ago. And there was so much that I really didn't know about. And then even as I, you know, I joined the Navy and then got out and went to school. And then as I now look at some of the opportunities, there's so many more opportunities and degrees and that are out there. But if you look at the the data, the data says, you know, the number one uh, baccalaureate degree granted is, is communications. Uh, and if we look at like our engineering programs, they tend a lot of, to have a lot of foreign born students who are not U S citizens. So native American, native born Americans are not choosing engineering and science fields. It's sort of at the, the rate we need them to, how do we shift this sort of notion that, you know, as I've got kids and I've, I've had to say no to my, you know, daughter, no, Abby, you really don't want to be a professional social influencer. You, you can, you, you can contribute more than, than having a YouTube channel where you play video games and, you know, things like that. I, and, you know, and I've got a son who now wants to be a nuclear engineer. So I've sort of helped him get to where I would like to see him go. But how do we sort of get American kids to the point that they were sort of in the 50s and 60s where they all wanted to be astronauts and to be astronauts, you had to be engineers. And, you know, what what can we do 
to sort of shift that focus that when they do go to college, they go into these humanities fields and, you know, some, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a PhD in social science, but you only need so many of us. How do we shift that culture, that desire, that motivation? I mean, you're talking to these young folks. Is there a way to do that? Yeah. Thanks, Adam. It's a great question. And we can all help with this. They, uh, I'll, I'll go to a specific example of, uh, the, you know, NNSA's Minority Serving Institution Partnership Program. And, and here's what I learned uh, in a recent site visit. Uh, while talking to a, a parent, a, in this case it was a dad, uh, about the NNSA and what it is we do. And his uh, recounting to me was, you know, I don't have that background. I don't, I as a, he, he as a dad didn't have the background to be able to help his child with the math at home that night or how to explain the science of whatever the thing was that was happening. And, it, and, and his teaching moment for me was until you get me as the dad to believe that my kid can succeed in doing this, I'm not going to support that idea. And I thought that's an epiphany for me. Um, what, what can we do to help? And so we came back to work and we, uh, we looked at our MSIPP program and uh, in, in the allowance for that program, we can do outreach uh, to uh, local schools. So we can go to, we can go to K, to K through 12. We can go to K through 12 and, and talk to the kids, but we can also run a STEM day where the moms and dads are invited to come along. And so, and so we've done that. And in bringing the moms and dads along and telling them, we can help. We can help to make sure that if your student wants to, uh, pursue uh, a STEM career, whether it's math, science, whatever kind of engineering. Uh, let, let's talk about what steps we can take together to help your students succeed. It might be mentoring. It might be tutoring. It might be participating in a magnet school. It might be that your student really needs to go on an internship to one of our laboratories during the summertime to see the practical application of this math and science. And so we've doubled the number of interns that we have participating both here in the national capital region as well as out at our field sites. Adam, how that helps is when the student comes home from that internship and explains to mom and dad what it was that they just did for the last six to eight weeks of their life, and the mom and dad accept the idea that the child can be successful, the student can be successful in this endeavor, the light switch flips, and now everybody's all in. We had a recent case uh, of our executive team. We had the executive team, the federal executive team from the NSA gathered in one place at one time for Administrator Ruby to help you know, share her vision with us on where the enterprise is right now and should be going. And as one of the guest speakers that day, she'd invited uh, a former MSIPP student, uh, uh, David Alexander, who's, who's right now uh, 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 an employee out at Los Alamos National Laboratory, Dr. David Alexander. David Alexander used to be one of our MSIPP interns. Um, he came up through the Tuskegee program, uh, pursued his degree there as a mechanical engineer, interned in the summertime at Los Alamos National Laboratory. He liked it. They loved him. And eventually, when he finished up at Tuskegee, they hired him. While he was working at Los Alamos, he also applied for a doctoral program at the University of Texas, El Paso, and was accepted. Now, the University of Texas, El Paso, by car, I think it's about six hours from the Los Alamos National Laboratory. And so that's what David would do. 
He was working up at Los Alamos, but he would drive down to uh, UTEP. He would do his schoolwork at UTEP, but then he would be able to continue working at Los Alamos in the laboratory. He had done so much work at Los Alamos while doing his doctoral study at UTEP that once he finished at UTEP, they hired him as a research PhD at Los Alamos. No postdoc needed because he had achieved so much as a student at UTEP while working at Los Alamos. Adam, we can do this. We can talk to your son. Uh, we can make sure he and your daughter both understand that they can do this. Uh, social influencer, that's a nice thing to do. Uh, but the nation needs our young people to come and help us with this mission too. They can do both. They can achieve <laughs> excellence as a scientist or engineer or a policy person. They can help us with the non-pro mission and they can be social influencers. Um, Maybe I they'll think, be social influencers for engineers, you know. <laughs> I'll take all the help I can get, Adam. <laughs> so we're at that point in the show where I usually bring out Bob. And so, you know, my time in the desert, I uh, found a genie in a bottle. His name's Bob. He comes out and he grants three wishes to all my guests. And now the, he only grants wishes that are related to the topic that we've been discussing. So as I <laughs> rub that, that genie, Bob pops out. He's granted you your three wishes. What are those wishes? Hey, my number one is really about the STEM pipeline. So, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a graphic that shows this, that shows, uh, you know, that every year in our, in our school system, you know, we start out with uh, 400,000 students who might end up graduating from a, a STEM degree 10 years later. And it shows the leakage out of the STEM pipeline that happens at each step of the student's life as they move through grade school then high school and then college. And so here's my wish for Bob the genie. Bob, I wish you would help all of us understand the part we could play in plugging the holes in that STEM pipeline so that our students don't fall out of the pipe. We'd rather let them stay in the pipeline, get all the way through their college degree, get that STEM degree that they wanted. And then if they decide they want to be a social influencer or something else, that's fine. But please, Bob, help us keep our kids successful and let them get through the STEM pipeline front to back so that they have the option of pursuing something that maybe requires a STEM degree. But if they decide not to, that's fine, too. So that would be my number one request, um, Adam. My second request would be uh, would have to do with this, my zero to five year hires. Here's what I mean. We've done a great job at NNSA, our MNO partners. Uh, uh, we've done as a team a great job of hiring 9,000 people this year. We're very happy to have those new people on board. They're an incredibly important uh, asset and resource for our team. Unfortunately, what I've noticed in the data is that we're losing some of our zero to five year hires to other enterprises. And, I, and my wish for Bob would be that we could somehow understand better why our young people are, they're not all young, why our new hires aren't staying with us like they used to. It used to be when they were lucky enough to get hired into the NNSA enterprise, they would stay for a full career. Recently, we've seen people leaving in that zero to five year cell and uh, we're trying everything we can to try to not let that happen. We're working on student loan repayment plans. We're working on uh, getting better child care programs at uh, all of our sites so that the moms and dads don't have to worry about that as much. We're working on, hey, what kind of gym membership can we get so that people can work out at work? Yep. I mean, Adam, we're trying to think out of the box on the zero to five year hires. 
But uh, if the genie could help me with that, I'd love to have a better answer on why I can't retain all my zero to five year hire people so that they would stay with us for a longer time because we need them. Uh, and then my third request would be uh, for uh, leaders, leaders like I've got, uh, leaders like Joe Ruby and Frank Rose and Secretary Granholm. They, uh, they bring an awful lot to the table. If, if you've never met Joe Ruby, she's a former lab director. And it's the first time I've worked for a former lab director. All my prior administrators were from other walks of life. Uh, but she brings a unique perspective and has taught me an awful lot about how I should be thinking about the enterprise. Because that's how she had to think about the enterprise as a lab director. So she brings this this bigger understanding of uh, when we when we sneeze, you know, what happens to the rest of the folks out there, the 60,000 employees at the NNSA. So Bob, Jeannie Bob. I would love to have leaders like Joel, Joel Ruby and Frank Rose uh, for the NNSA just to guide the ship and keep us on the right path and uh, helping us get the resources we need to do the mission. How's that? That's wonderful. Frank Lowry, Associate Administrator for Management and Budget at the National Nuclear Security Administration. Thanks for coming on Nuclecast. We appreciate it. Well, and uh, of course, I personally hope you're still around when when my son is looking for a a, a gig at one of the labs. Uh, he, it's funny because he he said, you know, Dad, uh, I'm going to join the Navy, but I, I want a, a job in the Navy. He's first he says I want to be a Navy SEAL. Then he says, well, you know, I've changed my mind. I only want a job that whenever I get out will pay a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So we looked it up and we found that there were two, and that would be going in, into nuclear propulsion or some, some cyber jobs. And he says, well, I don't want to sit at a computer all day. So let's, let's be a nuclear engineer. So that's how, that's how he's chosen it. So let's hope it works out as he plans. And uh, it's a good talking to you today. And thanks for all you do. Yes, sir. Thank you. And thanks to you, the listeners. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Nuclecast and hopefully We'll see you on the next episode. Well, there's one thing you could definitely say about Frank. He's passionate about recruiting and about trying to get out there and get, you know, the the best talent and the talent that the nuclear enterprise requires. I mean, that was that was pretty clear, uh, you know, in talking to to him. And it's it's good to see that they're, you know, NNSA is not necessarily known for being the most innovative organization in government or government writ large being innovative. But it's good to see that they're trying to be, you know, innovative in how they recruit and, you know, how they retain and, you know, just their desire to do what it takes to try to to recruit the right workforce and then to retain that workforce and then to help draw people in that might not have otherwise been interested or that might not have, you know, been inclined to pursue a a science and engineering field to say, Hey, this is possible. This is for you. So uh, he did it with great energy. I I enjoyed talking about it. Uh, And it sort of, you know, it lends to the past discussions we've had about this topic. So I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did too. This has been a production of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Prunkoff. 
Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NucleCast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.